So I was like, I'm going to have to go into this and beat her. If I don't do anything, if I don't win, as long as I beat her, I'll walk away from this happy. And I actually drew her first. So I was like, wow, this is going to be hard. I'm going to take this really hard fight for the first one, hopefully win that, and then go in to fight another incredibly amazing athlete because we were the top four in Australia. Welcome to the Servo Show. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me. (laughs) All right. We have Victoria Sullivan, a two-time Muay Thai world champion. That is cool. That is cool. That's all I need to say, really. Yeah, cool. Well, um, <laughs> uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm I'm really excited to be here today and talk about, you know, two things that I'm really passionate about and, yeah, something that I want to get out in the world and, and um, share, I guess, my knowledge about. So, yeah, excited. Love it. I'm, I'm uh, getting better with my intros but, I mean, yeah, there's, there's so many things to unpack from just that and then obviously – the uh, the greyhound thing. So um, yeah. if you're passionate about uh, sports, uh, martial arts, and animals, this episode's definitely for you. So let's go back to the beginning. Yep. Where did it all begin for you with Muay Thai? Well, okay. So I actually, um, when I was about six years old, my mum put me into taekwondo, and um, it was purely because my brother wanted to do taekwondo. And so I did that for quite a few years um, and then I finished up when I headed into high school. Were you the older sibling? Younger. Oh, Younger. Okay. So, yeah, I sort of stuck with it and he sort of uh, was involved in other sports. Um, I really enjoyed it and I don't know really why I, I decided not to do it anymore. You know, when you're a teenager you want to hang out with your friends. So sort of broke away from it for a little while and then I finished high school and I was sort of like, you know, when you finish school you don't really know what you're doing with your life. And I just needed something that gave me motivation to one, get fit and just have something to do with my time. Um, so my friend was like, oh, why don't you look up Muay Thai? And I was like, what, what is that? I've never heard of it before. Like I was just like, I'll do karate or taekwondo because that's what I knew. Um, and I Googled it and there was one around the corner from my house and didn't have my license at the time. So I was like, well, great, let's just jump in and see what happens. So I started training and that was when I was about 17 years old. So that's pretty much how I found Muay Thai, just by luck. Um, And then I realised that I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I had my first fight when I was about 21. And at that stage, I was probably a little bit immature to to want to pursue it to the level that I have pursued it for the last 10 years. And I sort of took a back step with it and I thought, you know what, this is too hard. I'm just going to focus on everything else. So I focused on my career for a few years Um, And in those years, there was just something nagging me in the back of my mind that was like, you should do this, you should come back, you know, because that first fight that I had, I lost. And I was like, I've got to at least have a win so I can say I did it and I won. So a quick Google search, I found a gym and I was like, hey, let's do it and let's do it properly this time. And yeah, like that was eight or nine years ago and I haven't stopped fighting since. And uh, fast forward to the next, I guess, eight years, eight, nine years. Yep. Um, what was your record? What is your record? Oh, man. Every every time someone asks me this, I'm like, oh, what is it again? Mm-hmm. So I had 24 professional fights, which yep. actually was um, not a lot for the time that I was competing. 
Um, but of those 24, I think I won, I lost seven. I drew once and I think it's 16 that I had won. Um, and of those 16 fights, I've got four state titles, three Australian titles, and it's actually one world title. Um, and I've done some pretty incredible stuff in that time. Amazing. So, amazing. yeah, pretty blessed to have an awesome career. But, you know, it did take a lot of effort and a lot of time. And, yeah, I gave my entire 20s to it, which I'll never never regret. And what did you uh, learn from that in, in, in dedicating yourself in your 20s? Because not a lot of people dedicate themselves to anything in their 20s. Yeah. They're still testing, but you found something really early to dedicate yourself into. Yeah. What's the best thing I learned from it? Probably that I'm more capable than I thought I was and I could do things that I I never thought I could ever do and all it took was, well, not all it took, but what it took was just dedication and just a relentless approach to um, being successful. And that's what I learned and honestly I'm retired now but I'm going to take those skills into the rest of my life and, yeah, that's the best lesson I ever learned. Yeah, yeah. And before your retirement, you beat two fighters in one night. Yeah, <laughs> that was really cool. Such an awesome experience. So, like, um, anyone in the Muay Thai community will know what a four-man eliminator is or a four-woman eliminator. Um, so it's basically where you fight twice in one night. So you'll draw a name out of the hat. Um, you'll fight one girl. If you win that fight, you'll then go on a few hours later and then fight another girl so um, I did that in Queensland and that was sort of at the the end of the pandemic, which actually didn't end up being the end of the pandemic. I'll tell you a bit more about that. Um, but, yeah, so I went through a fight camp training for three different styles. So I've never trained so hard in so long in my life and my fitness and my my physique and skills were just at, at the absolute best because I knew that I had to be to be able to beat, you know, a variation of three different fighters. So I actually had fought this girl, one of the girls that I had fought I'd lost to. So I had like, I guess a bit of a vendetta and it was a bit personal for me. So I was like, and she'd, she'd said no to so many rematches and it was only because this was a four-woman eliminator with an Australian title attached to it. She said yes. So I was like, I'm going to have to go into this and beat her. If I don't do anything, if I don't win, as long as I beat her, I'll walk away from this happy. And I actually drew her first. Ooh. So I was like, wow, this is going to be hard. I'm going to take this really hard fight for the first one, hopefully win that and then go in to fight another incredibly amazing athlete because we were the top four in Australia and potentially probably the world. Um, so, so how's it go? It goes um, first match, first match, winner from both versus each other. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So – something came out of me <laughs> I was just like just a totally different person in that ring um and I dominated the fight so I'd actually lost to this girl previously and I dominated her in the second um the second meeting and then I went in to fight again for the for the second time for that night against another girl who had been a reigning Australian champion for many many years top of her game um and that was a close fight I beat her. I actually, she broke my nose in the last 30 seconds and I cut her in the last 10 seconds. So that sort of like sealed the deal for me. Wow. Um, and if it had gone any longer, then I definitely, she would have been finished because she was just bleeding a little bit too oh. much. Um, 
but yeah, it was an incredible experience. And um, to add to that story, in between the first and the second fight, we'd actually discovered that we had been in a hot spot in Queensland. And if we were to return home within that time frame, which we were, we would have to quarantine for two weeks. Uh. And I've got my whole team, my my coaches, uh, my teammates, my sister, my family had come all the way over to Queensland to watch me fight. And I was like, if I don't win this, I'm going to go home with nothing and my friends and family are going to have to quarantine for two weeks. So I was like, I need to win this fight, just find a way to win the fight. And I did. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess it just showed that anything could be done and, like, I'll add to that, like these girls were all local. They mm. were all like best in the country, but they were all from Queensland and I was the outsider. And I ended up walking out that ring and people were like cheering my name. I was like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> like I'm like this foreign person and they're yeah. cheering for me. So That's it was awesome. really, it was just the best experience. So that first fight uh, against your arch nemesis, yeah. you did you finish her off in the first fight quickly? That that would be, I'd assume, the best strategy because then you're still fresh for that second fight. No. So it went all three rounds. Oh, no. But I – which wasn't ideal because you get banged up. Um, but I just sort of played it tricky, like carefully, that yeah. I wouldn't get knocked out. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I outskilled her in every, every round. Yeah. And, yeah, I probably had a few bumps and bruises – but when you're fighting back to back within two hours, you sort of don't even really feel them because you've got that um, adrenaline. Yeah. Um, I've had situations where I've had to fight within a couple of days and I, I would say that's worse because yeah. the swelling sets in, the bruises and you feel it. Your adrenaline wears off. It's gone. Mm. It's gone. You have to, you got to ride that wave again. Yeah. And, and what do you do in between the two fights? Do you like go in the ice bath or something or do you, what do you do? do you? Yeah. It's really simple. Muay Thai is, is very simple. It was just in like a, in a car park, essentially, it was a good. It was a good setup. Brisbane but it was, car park. It was literally <laughs> in a, a Gold Coast car park. Um, so you know, for, we barely Australian titles. Yeah, yeah, okay. pretty standard. Fair enough. Pretty standard. Um, it was, was a great show. It was awesome. Um, but good. you know, there was lights that were solar panel lights, yeah. and they were dead. So we were in a tent, and there's there's no lighting. So you're basically just having to to manage your injuries yourself. So trying to get some eyes, put your eyes on your legs, elevate your legs so there's not too much um, of like the blood settling in, making sure that you're eating food in between so that you're, you're refueling. What sort of food do you eat between fights? Have you seen those um, those sachets that oh, like the marathon? Bike. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. The cyclists and the, the uh, astronauts have. Exactly, yeah. 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 So it's like <laughs> this high-calorie high carbohydrate dense food that's just like it's disgusting but it's small and it won't sit heavy in your stomach yeah so those are the sorts of things that you've got to have Mm -hmm. um in between the fights so like very different experience than than having just one fight in one night because you'll have a fight you do your thing and then you walk away and you just go eat a burger and it's all good (laughs) is that the only time you've done this it is, yeah. It's it's an unusual yeah. situation. And that was the same night you won multiple titles. Yeah. So it was um, the Infliction Australian title, which is the which is the show, um, and it was a WMO Australian title, which is like a global globally recognised title. So that's probably the one that I would claim over the other one. Did but you yeah. get to Did you get to hold two belts and 
it was like Conor McGregor. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it was cool. It was really cool. And they gave me these two massive trophies. I'm just like standing like there in the middle of the car park with like my my belts and my trophies. Mm. It was it was cool. I love that. So that yeah. was back in 21 in May? Correct. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. And that now has been uh, surrendered to someone else or how does it work? Um, I don't actually think anyone's fought it but um, bought for that title specifically um, but uh, my world title is also a WMO mm-hmm. and I have vacated that so someone else has fought for that one now. So how does that process work when you vacate a belt? Do you just say go in a group chat and go, hey, guys, Pretty I'm out? Much. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. It's very informal. Yeah. It is. Um. So the rules are generally with most sanctions, it's six to 12 months you have to um, defend it. Mm-hmm. For me, I did want to defend it, but because of COVID, it made it very difficult. So it was it was two years in between the time that I, I fought it and then it was vacated. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's fine. And that was only like a couple of months ago. So my situation has changed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now that you're uh, retiring, mm-hmm. retired, what, what got you to go, yeah, I'm calling it. Funny story. (laughs) (laughs) I fell pregnant. Ooh. Yeah. First one? First one. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely can't be being punched in there in the the midsection. (laughs) No. And like I did have the plan of having children was definitely on the cards for the next, you know, 12 months. Um, So I did have the idea that I would have a few more fights before I hung up the gloves. Yeah. But, you know, things happen and I'm happy to to do that now you know family will come first now because fighting's great and I've loved it for so long but Mm -hmm. I did it for 10 years and I did everything that I wanted to do um and I'm happy to walk away from it saying yep I did it I didn't squander any of my talent and yeah Yeah. on to the next there have been a few fighters female fighters that have said the same thing have had their kid kids and have come back and won it again yeah do you see yourself maybe possibly I mean Time will tell, right? People have asked me that question a lot and I've put a lot of thought into it and honestly I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, because of the, a lot of the women that I know that have had their children and have come back have sort of been halfway through their career and they haven't quite done oh, the things yeah. that – I mean there are exceptions to that um, but for the most part I found that those women haven't done everything that they wanted to do and they sort of cut it short by mm. a few years – Whereas for me, like finishing up my career in the next year was really just giving it that that justice it deserved, um, and it wasn't necessarily to tick off any anything like specific. Mm. So I think I'm happy to to hang up the gloves, and like I've just been enjoying retirement way too much. Um, yeah, it's it's just a, such a softer life, and I think once yeah. you start to enjoy that, it's very hard to go back to that really like hardened life because that's what it's like as a fighter you know you you don't have time for your friends you barely have time for your family and it's very much like commit yourself 110 percent and there's just there's no room for anything else so I feel like for me I did it I gave it my all I gave up a lot to do it so happy to to say that's it yeah I mean a world title to be the hardest worker in the room and to, to come off on top there's really nothing else more to prove. Exactly, you know? exactly. What about other fighters um, that you grew up watching, um, whether they're in the local circuit or mm-hmm. the UFC, for example? Who did you um, 
admire the most? Kaylee Reese, actually. Um, and I've, I've ended up at her gym. So uh, when I was a bit younger, she was the girl that I looked up to because she was an eight-tie world champion. Mm-hmm. Just because she's local doesn't mean that that's why she's my idol. It's just by chance that she's local. Um, and she's gone on to have her two children and she hasn't come back to fighting because she says, I did it, did everything that I wanted to do and I, and I did it well. Um, so I really looked up to her and her journey and just seeing like how the type of fighter that she was at her time was pretty incredible. Like you look at her physique and the way that she fought, she was years ahead of her. And if she came back now, she would still demolish half of, if not all of her division. And I say that because I truly believe it. Um, so she's definitely someone that I look up to and continue to look up to. Yeah, yeah. So the young girls at six years of age now wanted to kick their older brother's asses <laughs> and they want to learn Muay Thai or karate, Taekwondo or MMA in general. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have to them? I think it's a lot easier for girls these days because there's a bit more representation. Um, I think my advice would more just be around just keep doing it. Like you're naturally going to have a bit of self-doubt. You're going to think, why am I doing this? When it gets tough, you're going to feel like that a lot. But just keep going because it does get a lot better and you do have those like hell yeah moments where you're like, this is why I do it. But it is a hard sport and you've got to be prepared for that. But it is totally worth it. Totally worth it at the end. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when when one starts their journey, uh, what's something that kind of had you go, oh, this is tougher than I thought? Yep. And then you overcame it. Mm-hmm. Can you share a story? Because they're going to probably – that's going to happen to them. Draw from that. Yeah, yeah. draw from that. Um, this is probably going to be a little bit deep. <laughs> Perfect. But um, when I was 23, I was obviously in the midst of my career, but it was very early on and I'd only have, had to have like three fights at that stage and my dad passed away and I hadn't actually spent a lot of time with my family and I was like, oh, God, you know, maybe if I wasn't in, involved in this so much I would have had more time. But the reality is like I was doing something that I loved and I was really good at and I was being successful at and I sort of got to a, a point where I was like, okay, this can either be my wake-up call to be like, I'm out, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore because it was, it was a hard time. Or I can be like, okay, well, I've gotten this far and I've sacrificed and I'm not going to get back any of that time that I lost. Let's just give it our best shot. You're really good at this. You had no direction in life prior to this and now you do. Let's really like give this a real hard shot. Um, so, yeah, that was probably my turning point because – and it's hard to like remember back to that because it was, you know, it was like seven, eight years ago now. But, yeah, that was a turning point for me because I was like I've got to make something for myself and this is how I'm going to make something for myself and then, you know, go from there. And then no regrets, right? No regrets at all because yeah. I know that my dad would be extremely proud of everything that I've been able to achieve and I've done things that, you know, <laughs> back in his day girls shouldn't do 
girls couldn't do. So I think that he would be proud of me and and the way that I've represented me in the sport and and shown other girls that they can do it as well. Love that. I love that. And then you now have uh, some pets, some greyhound pets. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I've accumulated a few pets over the years. <laughs> yeah. So I've always loved animals like growing up just obsessed with cats and dogs, doesn't matter what it was, guinea pigs, whatever. So um, I had one dog, Smokey, he's my Kelpie, and I thought it would be nice if he would have a companion. And I remember I saw a dog at the dog park one day and it was just such a majestic, beautiful dog. So I asked the owner about the animal and he said, oh, she's a retired greyhound and she's the most beautiful, loving animal I've ever seen. And I was like, okay, that's it. I want a greyhound. Yeah. So I, I applied for a greyhound during COVID and because I had cats, it took a little bit longer for me. But, yeah, within six months I had my goose. So after joining all the, all the groups, um, I came to realise that – and I had an idea before, as most people do. Mm. Um, I came to the realisation that the life that goose would have lived before that I ha- before I had him was pretty awful. Um, and I started to go down the rabbit hole of actually realizing this is this is what's really going on behind behind closed doors. And it's been something that I've been pretty pretty passionate about raising awareness um, for over the last couple of years. Yep. Yeah. And I remember meeting you um, at uh, Royale's and you yep. uh, backed the Free the Hounds charity. Yeah. And that's how I learned about it. I had an idea as well. Mm-hmm. Um, back in my early 20s, um, I fell into the classic footy guy thing where we'd go to the pub and we'd punt on the horses and the greyhounds and I yep. had no idea. Yep. And now I look back and I'm just like, man, if I had known back then how serious it is, 1,300, 1,300 greyhounds yep. since 2015 have been killed on just just WA tracks. And that's just WA. Yes, and that's not to mention all the other dogs that are unreported yep. that have died. These are just dogs that are reported. Mm. So you can imagine that those numbers would be just be incredibly higher than that. Yeah, and it's a lot of, a lot of those dogs would still be around now. Yep. You know? And, you know, there's the breeding programs purposely for one thing and then there's the exporting importing to countries with no regulations yep and also was it there's only seven countries in the world that do this yeah seven and we are the worst we have the most greyhound tracks which just baffles me like we're a first world country and we're still allowing this barbaric sport to happen in our backyards Mm. and it's just I, I just don't understand it and you have we, we recently, when I say re, we, I mean Free the Hounds recently did a petition where they gathered like it was like 20, 30,000 signatures and they were all in support of, of stopping greyhound racing. That's more, more than the participants that are in the sport and they still said no. It's going to continue and we don't give you a reason why. Yeah, it's all money. And I, 100%. I've, I've been steering clear of any politics, any – any of that stuff uh, for the last four or five years building my brand and I get people asking me all the time about different things 
something happens in the world that I have no idea about. And they're like, what are your thoughts on it? I was like, I don't have any thoughts about it. It's if people have died, it's terrible. You know, me being Russian for the last two years, I've been called scum from, you know, people that I've never met before. Yeah. Just because of my Russian heritage. I was born there and migrated here and, yeah, I've had Ukrainians call me a pig, which is like a big insult in that sort of like a swine. Yeah. Sort of. I'm like, okay. And then I get asked about that and I just avoid it. I filter those words out from all my – but now I have some ideas, some some knowledge, some history behind this, this uh, – uh, greyhound racing shit and I speak up about it. I'm excited to have finally find something that I'm like, I'm going to speak up about this yeah. for animals that don't have a voice. Um, but I also feel a little bit of a contradiction because mm. I eat meat. I know. I have that thought every day. And I see the lambs like right now it's like baby baby season. You go through the 2J hills, it's just lambs everywhere. Yeah. Went to Tasmania last week for a business trip. We went from Launceston to Hobart, drove. Lambs everywhere, cute little lambs, you know. I had lamb shanks for dinner that night. Yeah. And I didn't even think about it, you know. But they're living their utmost best life. They're going around eating the grass and like their whole life is just doing that. Yeah. Right. In the wild, maybe... Who knows, especially with cows and things like that. I'm obviously justifying um, being a meat eater. But um, I see and – and I try to eat the uh, the cow, the beef, the lamb, the pork from the places as organically as possible. Like yeah, grass-fed. Yeah. yeah. Organic, all of that. And the fast food stuff, no more. Yeah. I used to run the Red Rooster channel back when I was learning how to be a marketer and now I'm like, ah, damn, you yeah. know. We learn though and maybe one day people go, but you did that, but you did that. Yeah, keyword, did. Yeah. I've made amends now. And it's, it's hard, right? Like I was through um, the Royale's burger, yeah. I was attacked by vegans. Of course. And like part of me is like, yeah. They're not wrong. But at the same time, how many problems can I solve as one individual on this mm. earth? Yes, I will try to be more ethical, but greyhound racing serves no purpose to society whatsoever yeah, apart from filling pockets of politicians and and greyhound races, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So as much as, yes, we feel guilty for those things and I, and I do reduce my meat consumption quite significantly and, and like you, I don't eat fast foods as mm nearly as much but I just I just don't understand why greyhound racing still exists because yeah. like I said it serves no purpose mm. whatsoever and these these dogs are just treated like trash and they don't have the same rights as any other dogs mm. and it just does not make sense to me what why? else doesn't make sense to me at the moment is um talk, talk about the woke culture yeah the gen z specific woke culture they're complaining about things that are sometimes not even in this country and they're bringing it here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, can we shift their mindset 
to complain about something more relevant. Yeah. Like the greyhound, greyhound racing. Yeah. You know, um, yet the animal activists, and I say animal activists, like the ones that are doing it peacefully, mm-hmm. you know, um, to then help them align themselves to that because their energy in that would be much more effective. Yeah. Right. 100%. Because people feel awkward, you know, again, not going into details, but you say the wrong word or the pronouns and all that shit and people get so offended. What about talking about greyhound racing? I'm offended if you say that. Why don't you – why why doesn't that become a thing? Yeah. You know, if I'm at a party and I get – I've actually had this happen once. Um, I was at this guy's uh, business birthday and one guy I was talking to, nice dude, he was telling me um, he's a professional gambler, like he'd, he'd make a living out of it. And then he started talking about how he bets on the greyhounds. I literally just wanted to walk away then yeah. and there. Um, but he was young and, you know, as you're young, you're naive just as I was. Um, but it's like stopping the conversation of making that a good thing. It's like, oh, you're making money out of it. Good for you. Oh, why don't you just play poker and make money from someone else? You know, versing that. Yeah. And it's I, all consensual. Yeah, it's all consensual. So I I really want to see what we can do there. Cause reality is it'll it'll unfortunately probably take a generation to do this. Yeah. Because if we can get a whole generation to stop betting, the whole industry's done. Yeah. So, you know, and there's no real advertising of Greyhound Racing as like a come to the track or you know, we have the Melbourne Cup, but that's horses. That's yeah. another story. I've been asked to MC an event this year and I just told them to get fucked. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not for it. I had a yeah. conversation with someone on Instagram about how, um, you know, I, I mentioned stop betting on animals. Yeah. They said, I agree on the greyhounds, but I don't agree on the horses. We train horses. They're treated like royalty. I'm like, of course there are. They make money until they don't. Exactly. Then what and happens? what happens? And then they're, they're trying to justify it through what they're doing. I'm like, yeah, sure, you can do it the best way possible, but I'm talking about everybody else that's, you know, putting steroids in and overtraining and malnourishing and not caring about them in the off-season because they can just get another horse. Yep. It's the same with greyhounds. So, But also you look at the um, – you look at the – I'm going to try and say this in the most politically correct way. <laughs> Who cares? You're retired. <laughs> yeah, true. You're, you're having me. a kid. Who cares? <laughs> but you look at the demographics of people that train horses. Mm. There's a lot more money that's needed to do that. And then you look at the people that are training dogs. Mm. It's very different. Oh, yeah. So. Have you seen the drone footage recently in South Australia and Tassie? You know, my dog is from there. Yeah. Goose was mm. on one of those properties. Mm. And that really hit close to home because yeah. I was like, Okay, like obviously I'm very passionate about it, but it almost like it made me cry to think, you know, my dog lived in that and now he's living with me and he's living his best life and he's amazing. But he went through that and he could have easily not survived that. Yeah. It's horrific. And yeah. they say, oh, it's just it's just one bad apple. Okay, cool. One week later, same thing, drone footage of a different state. This, it's is, not- this is the time now where we need to push it. Absolutely. Right? Because then people start to realise, oh, wow, I didn't realise that's that's happening. Yeah. Whoever that drone pilot is, absolute hero. You know? <laughs> 100%. You know, and and like uh, you see the people, the trainers, every time I see someone on the news or like 
getting into the uh, doghouse, better use of words, I go straight to like stalking their name and stuff. I'm like pitchforking. Eh? I don't do that ever. Yeah. And now <laughs> I'm too. like, I'm not, now I'm like, like try to find them on LinkedIn or something. And when my stalking game's on, I can stalk some people. Like I had someone try to cancel me a few years ago. I figured out who they were, where they they lived, their address, their phone number, their business. I even discovered their dog's name. This is like some Liam Neeson special Went skills. Went through some <laughs> rabbit hole shit. Yeah. And they were they were tw- in their very early 20s and the reason why they were trying to cancel me was because I was playing around with different accents in my videos and they were labelling me as a racist. Oh, come on. And I had uh, a very close call with almost pulling the uh, metaphorical trigger and about to like go ham on every bit of their shit and fortunately Sabine was like my wife she's like yeah don't I'm like yeah true (laughs) so I left it but sorry for the interruption but this show would not be possible without the help of Bright Tank Brewery they are the major sponsor of the Sevo show huge shout outs to them check them out great beers great people great everything and uh well let's get back to the episode but oh man and like yeah, the, there's activists, animal activists that go to those properties in front of the properties without trespassing or whatever. I'll go outside the courthouse where they, when they're getting prosecuted and shunned. But there needs to be more done. Like uh, yeah, exactly. if we go in front of the Greyhound tracks, for example, out the front and just, just completely – like where's the one here that's like a death trap? It's like Northern, Northern one. There's one in Mandurah. There's a few others. It's like – be a pest, yeah, and make it make it difficult. It's it's a habit thing, right? It's not just being hey, you can't do this, you can't just be a pest, and and go out like I've got so many ideas because of the content stuff. I'm very creative, so um, but I also still have my life to live, and it's yeah. just also kind of going okay. Every now and then, I'm going to share this. I'm going to talk about this. Yeah. Because it takes a whole bunch of relevant people to just change the world. If you can get two people that have um, done nothing but shock value on the internet to sell a shitty, over-energized drink to kids, they can do something better and get a whole industry shut down, which is more – like the legacy is much better. Would you Would you prefer to be – remembered as the one that saved a whole, you know, group of like a species, There's a, you know, dog breed or sell energy drinks to kids. Yeah. Right? That's the world we live in. I know. And that's something that I've sort of reminded myself throughout my career because it's, it's so easy to just like forget what you're doing, mm. what you're doing for. And my motto has always been, leave whatever you're doing. So for me, sport, leave Muay Thai better than I found it. And um, and one of what one of the ways of doing that is obviously supporting Greyhound Racing and mm. putting the awareness out because I've got a group of people that follow me through through fighting that I also have their eyes open to, most of them would have their eyes open to this, what's happening in, in the Greyhound industry. Mm. And, and heaps of people message me saying, oh, I just didn't even know any of that was happening. Thank you for sharing it. So even just a small act, small yeah. act of sharing a couple of posts on your Instagram, if you've got a following, I've got a fairly small following. If you've got a bigger following, 
that goes such a long way because education is where it starts. Yeah. And awareness is where it starts. Yeah. And you've got to be consistent too because people scroll the internet for the quick humour, quick dopamine hit. Yeah. When they see something like this, if you bring it in with enough shock value and this is where documentaries are like they do it really well. Yeah. People start talking about it more. Yeah. And there's an outrage. And from that 20, 30, 40,000 signatures, if we 10x it, oof. We're and on. you can't ignore that. We're on. You just cannot ignore that. Yeah. But for some reason, the politicians with their pockets being lined, yeah, it's, it's, it just ends up being political again. So I think that route is still going to be going down. You just got to be a pest there. Mm. But I think there's an alternative route and that is the awareness of the next generations going, don't do this. This is not cool. Yeah. I have this idea where I want to make a series on TikTok where I'm going to call uh, talk about being an NPC, you know NPC is, non-playable characters. Oh, yeah, in video games. Yeah, yeah, but in real life, yeah. non-playable characters. Um, when I'm doing uh, my thing out in the street, doing my interviews and stuff, people are completely detached from the world. Yeah. They're just walking around. And then when you like approach them, they just like freak out. They're, oh, no, 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 no. Um, they don't, they have that social anxiety and that's built from being online all, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noticed that the tourists or the ethnics that come to Australia, almost every one of them that I interact with on the street, they all say, yeah, let's, let's chat, let's have a go, mm-hmm. you know. Because they've taken the risk, they've taken the leap to come to a different place to explore it. But the ones that are here, they're like, oh, no, no. They're in that like bubble. Dissociated. Dissociated, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, like British people, best people. They, they, <laughs> they just love it. They get amongst it. Kiwis, absolutely get amongst it. All my best content has been with Kiwis in it. Yeah. So I'm just like, right, let's go somewhere where there's lots of Kiwis. Yeah. Oh, the NRL's on. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> but um, we need to get them and just start doing – start get people that want to talk about things and ask them the questions. So I think that's my personal pivot. And it's a personal pivot that's going to become a challenge and I'm like in the middle of it right now because brand deals, collaborations, they don't want to see that real authenticity. They want to see that clown, that circus performer – yeah. And that's where like having lots of followers, if you're not if you don't have a plan to have like an authentic legacy behind you, you're just another bill walking billboard. Yeah. You know? Exactly. That can that can be sold into buy uh, to to selling off mm. you know, supplements that are gonna yeah. make you skinny or yeah. well, I've certainly been approached for a lot of those things. Ugh, and I'm like yuck. No, nah, I'm not interested. It doesn't align mm. with me. I don't. I do. I wouldn't. If I wouldn't do it myself, mm. I wouldn't buy it myself. I'm not interested. Yeah, my favorite. Um, my favorite hack is when I do get a big opportunity with a specific brand, is to product place something like this um, within the campaign. Yeah. Um, whether it's in act, the actual videos, which is always fun to to do. Yeah. Um, because the agencies and the brands miss it and yep. they go, yep, approved and then bang. And you free. see it. Yeah. Um, or in between videos I put up like a podcast or like a video of me talking about a, a much more meaningful topic. Yeah. So while the, the iron's hot, 
everyone's like binge watching my stuff, there's that one video. Yeah. And that's kind of my play at the moment. But um, yeah, when the world is on your, like watching you, if you're not consistent with what they want, mm -hmm. they, they go, oh, what's this? And that's like a big problem as well because yeah. a lot of creators go through that. I was um, in Melbourne a few weeks ago, met up with Gary V. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's asked, cool. Yeah, I met, asked him the question. I was like, you're a creator, you're doing the same thing, you're doing the one thing and you are loved for it and you love it yourself. Great, great combination. But then you want to pivot. You want to do something else that's even more meaningful. But you start doing it and everyone's going, no, 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 go back to, go back to that. What do you do? Like how do you, how do you juggle that? Especially if you've monetized, especially if that's your job. Yeah. That is the same as someone being working in an office, not wanting to do it anymore. They want to do something else but the, the money is safe in this. Creators are about to go through that big time. They go on Love Island or Maths or some shit show. <laughs> they get their blue tick and then they get their, you know, star power for a couple of years, get invited to all this shit. But then they go back to their nine to five yeah. because they're not real, yeah. you know. And I'm like trying to avoid that completely. And I get these messages on Instagram and stuff saying, thank you for educating without all the bullshit. I'm yeah. like, yes. Now that, I just that's need your to, thing. Now I just need to make that like big. Yeah. So that any time I drop a video that's educational, they go, oh, I've said, if Sev said that, great. Yeah. And then um, I'm just going to make sure I I'll get you involved as well because you literally kick my ass. <laughs> um, if you see I'm not being real, come at me. I want that, you know. Accountability. Yeah. There's no accountability. No accountability in, in all these greyhound things. Um, I had a brainstorm last week. About this because I want to make a like a doco for it, a mini doco with really Free cool. the Hounds. That would be amazing. And this will definitely be clipped. So <laughs> another thing. Um, and there's so many people to interview. There's trainers, track owners, yeah. politicians, greyhound lovers, um, animal activists, and there's a whole bunch of others that I wrote down. And I'm excited, but I'm also like, oh, do I put my face in it or do I go from afar and then just help promote it? Uh, me saying this on the podcast that people will be able to connect to it, but it's a purpose, you know. I'm, I'm ready for that purpose. Now for your purpose, and this is my segue now because mm -hmm. I want to give you the mic back, yeah. um, your you're having your first child next year. Yep. Congratulations. Thank you. Where do you see you pivoting after that besides the obvious motherhood? Yeah. This has been something that I've been thinking about over the last couple of months, obviously without any urgency because there's a lot going on when you find out that you're pregnant. <laughs> what was that like? It was exciting. Yeah. A little bit scary. But I was excited and I didn't know that I was going to respond like that. I thought I would be like, oh, my God, I'm about to give up fighting overnight. But I just think I was ready. So it was easier for me. It was probably harder for my husband to come to the terms with it. He, he obviously is very happy. But, you know, as a woman, you sort of feel your body changing. So it's it's happening to you. So it's easier for you to come to terms with it. Yeah. Um, 
but to come back to your question as, as far as what's what's next for me, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like. I guess my priority is still the same. I, I still want to create a better sport for us um, and I still want to continue working with Free, Free the Hounds to build awareness around what's happening in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, I've floated some ideas, you know, commentating potentially, um, coaching maybe in a small capacity. There's just so many different things that, that I could possibly do but it's still, you know, probably 12 to 24 months away and, and things can evolve over that time. So I mm. think for me just sort of staying close to the sport, I'm still training um, and just see how, how I evolve over that time because I just don't really want to force it because it comes back to me being authentic as well. Yeah, I, I want it to come from a place of, of passion and and not just wanting to stay relevant because – I have no interest in staying relevant to complete to be completely honest. Um, you know, I know fighters that I've seen fighters that love the limelight and love to be known and I'm just not one of those people. I would be happy to walk away from it completely apart from the training component, yeah. but I know that I still have a legacy in the sport in one one way or another, but yeah, all I can say is watch this space. Yeah. Just making sure that you enjoy what you do in the current moment. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And and always stay stick by that rule of creating something better, not worse. Yeah, absolutely. So what advice would you have for um, people who want to help with, say, Free the Hounds? Start with that. I think just open your eyes to it. Yeah. And there's a lot of resources. Um, the easiest read is probably Free the Hounds. So head to their website. I post a lot about it. You know, it's nothing huge. You don't have to adopt a greyhound like I have done. You don't need to volunteer. You don't need to give a lot of your time. It's just being aware of it. And also, like, making people around you aware of it. You've got a family. You've got, a you know, a whole pool of people that you connect with regularly. Tell them, you know, I, do, you, um, do you bet on greyhound racing? Why? Did you know X, Y, and Z? And then that spreads really fast. So honestly, that's that's the best way that you can contribute to stopping greyhound racing. Yeah, because the 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 more of us that that boycott it, the less reason that there is to have an industry. Mm-hmm. So that's that's honestly the best thing. And if you want to continue going down the path of um, of you know volunteering or even um, donating, there's plenty of places that you can do that. Yeah. Um, but if you are thinking about getting a dog, I do encourage adoption. Um, if it's a greyhound, you know, that's awesome. But um, I always say adopt because there are so many dogs out there that need a home. Correct. And we don't need any more homeless dogs in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what's worse, vaping or betting on the greyhound race. <laughs> Pretty close. At least you're only harming yourself when you're vaping and maybe it's natural selection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably both do the same thing. Probably fit the same demographic, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've – there's so many bad habits out there that I've been sucked into when mm. I was younger. Yeah. Um, I never did smoking. Um, I have a cigar every couple of uh, – every now and then. It's like a gentleman's thing. But yeah. I also <laughs> – I recently did it and I'm like, my head is very light right now. Yeah. I really should not do this anymore. 
But Too old for this shit. <laughs> uh, maybe it's a taste palette. Maybe you, uh, like because Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger does it the coolest. You know. Oh, he's just he's just too cool. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I was younger, obviously, like getting getting a multi and you know bedding and bedding and bedding and just like oh wow, and it just makes it so easily and accessible to kids as well. Like as soon as you turn eighteen, you're a Download the app, put your bank details in, away you go. Yeah, they've got all the warnings and stuff, but they they have that's black and white. All the colourful stuff, the blue, the gold, the red, you know, lad lad this and mm-hmm. all this shit. And there's so many different agencies. Yeah. And they ban you if you start winning. So it's just like it's designed to bet it's designed against yeah those that bet it's natural selection for your for your money <laughs> yeah like if you don't know how to s- save the money or invest the money then you may as well lose the money yeah here is the best option for you right now as soon as you're able to I saw this video the other day of this kid he came out of I, I don't know if it was court or something or a rehabilitation center yeah he talked about his entire journey he's 25 and he was just like yeah gambling addict just crazy, on the bet, put all his salary in that and as soon as he got his first check, he was oh, just like, man, you know. But that's the thing, like like obviously becoming a parent myself, like I feel like such a responsibility to make sure that my child is, you know, brought up in a, an environment mm. where they don't feel like they need to do those sorts of things. Yeah. You know, like I'm glad you actually broke it up, cause, uh, brought it up because I just remembered um, – you know, one of the issues that we're dealing with Greyhound Racing is it's considered family friendly. It's marketed as family friendly. Where do they market this? I have no idea. I've never seen an actual ad for it. I think probably because we're not visiting places, we're f- not frequenting places yeah. that would advertise that sort of thing. But, you know, imagine taking your kid to, to Greyhound Racing and, and they start that from such a young age. You know, you see the gamblers and they're jumping up and down and it seems like such a fun thing to do and you, you don't actually see the, the other stuff, that, the yeah. losing money part. So these kids think, oh, I can get rich off just betting on dogs. Mm. And then that starts that vicious cycle of them going to the TAB, starting to drink alcohol because mm. when you go into the TAB or if you, if you watch things that are associated around that, alcohol is very heavily involved. And it just builds these bad habits that, you know, it's not good for humans, it's not good for people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, oh. I mean, like if, I'm sorry to cut you off, but even no, just right. like, you know, I watch the UFC and I watch all those big organisations and they're advertising Bud Light on one, on one part of the cage, mm. Corona on one part. It's like maybe if you advertise something healthy, like it would be so much more beneficial to the people yeah. that are viewing this. It just and it just makes the sport seem like such a blood sport. I'm just like sometimes I look at it. I'm just like, it's such a beautiful sport. You know, these people are like elite they athletes. They don't have that shit themselves. No way. Even just the prime, like yeah. you, this guy's released prime, and you see these fighters empty the bottle and will put their own hydrolytes and drinks in there and drink out of these drinks. Yeah. And these kids are looking at these prime athletes that are shredded and just at you know at their peak mm. and they think oh they're drinking prime i'm yeah. going to do the same thing was it um ronaldo or messi that did something recently they were getting interviewed and then they removed the coke bottle out of the frame and they <laughs> wouldn't surprise me <laughs> i love that i love that that's where the the real 
the real G's come out and, you know, speak up or make a difference or make an impact, even if it's going to be financially detrimental to them. Exactly. I mean, honestly, you don't need more than thirty, forty thousand dollars a year to live off of if you do it properly. You escape the rat race if you're able to invest well early or invest well from your successes and not be greedy. You don't need 40 houses. You don't need more than two houses. Two houses, one to live in, one to, you know, as a holiday home. And that is you're already better off than most people, most people in the world. But, yeah, I don't understand the greed and the gluttony um, that people have to want to want more. Yeah, you know, you have a you have a whole property in Tasmania, but you decide to fucking breed greyhounds so that they can be exported to China or yeah. something, and you know, there's no morals in that. No, absolutely none, and it just, I just, I just will never understand yeah. it. And then yeah, that vicious cycle. Going back to the whole NPC thing, mm-hmm. I want to. I want to label that vicious cycle as an NPC thing. Um, and this is my like content idea where we pretty much say, oh, so you're going to the TAB or you're going to the track um, and you're betting. That's very NPC of you, <laughs> you know. And that like most of these like the prime guys and whoever else – they got their audience through shock value. Some of them got cancelled and then they managed to even build the audience further. Yeah. That vicious cycle promotes more younger kids wanting to be like them. I saw a video the other day when they shit on it completely, the drink, when there was a, a kid, like a, she looked like a five, six-year-old. She's like, I want to drink more Prime. Why can't I drink Prime? Because it's got two energy, what is it, Red Bull cans in it. Yeah. Like, it's no good for you. No, no good it's for full you. Of crap. There's warnings, but there's also colourful labels, and it's like, where do you draw the line in your integrity? Mm-hmm. I don't see integrity in this world. No, and it's yeah, it happens a lot, and yeah. people get taken advantage of a lot as well. Mm. They don't make a lot of money, and then they have to promote these things to yeah to make more money and a lot of the time it isn't just greed it's just trying to make ends meet unfortunately. well that's what they got sucked into doing back to my previous point when i was saying that i grew my following from being a clown right and not like an over-the-top clown but just like my ideas in my head that i genuinely had mm-hmm. but then i'm like long-term value my audience is growing they're all jumping into jobs they're all making these life changing decisions they don't have anyone to look up to apart from those clowns. Yeah. And when I shift sometimes, uh, and this is something I'm working on, when I shift to more educational, I get those same people that have followed me forever commenting going, you've fallen off. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean fallen off? I'm good. What about you? Are you saying that I am no longer hitting your dopamine levels and I'm actually telling you something that you really need to do and that upsets you so you're going to feel threatened. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go on the defense and try to bully me online. That's a problem. For them. For them. Yeah. You know, for me I'm like I haven't fallen off. I'm, I'm barely getting started. I haven't even got up yet properly. 
So yep. and and then like Jordan Peterson, for example, I read an article yesterday that they're they're ordering him to do like a, a social media sensitivity thing where he has to be aware of how to be more sensitive online. What the fuck? Unfollow. <laughs> if it offends you, then unfollow. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's spreading some pretty good content. I would yeah. never say he's not. I mean, come on, if you're going to attack someone like him, why can't you attack someone like the, the greyhound racing industry? Exactly. Like why are we cancelling these people that are doing something different? Mm. We should be cancelling the ones that are actually making this world worse. Yeah. Like so, you can, I just, yeah, I just yeah. don't understand it. You can go get drunk and have it on the weekend and that's okay. But if someone speaks the truth, it's not okay. Exactly. And there's not enough people that speak the truth that have that kind of financial freedom. Dave Chappelle calls it fuck you money. <laughs> yes. I love Dave Chappelle. Yeah. And he fucking speaks out. Yeah. He doesn't care. He got apparently cancelled. Back He's on back. Netflix. He's back, <laughs> <You know>? baby. <laughs> and I think we're about to bring in that new age of um, those people that push through. And I'm so stoked to be part of it. It's just I have that kind of invisible shackle where I'm like, oh, I just need that, just need that financial freedom, right? But then I'm like, how do I get that financial freedom without, you know, selling my soul? Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, what are your thoughts about, um, you know, all these distractions are in society. Obviously there's gambling, there's sports. And I'm talking about sports as in following a sport because you vicariously want to win through someone else. Yeah. You know, um, relaxing, unwinding and cheering for someone else and supporting them, much like you have fans, much like I have fans. Um, but you need to moderate it. People go, oh, man, I've been on social media for an hour today. That's enough. But then they do something else that's a complete waste of time. And then you have all these different things like music releases, events, um, like someone's coming as a, as a music artist coming, um, new launch of this place, new launch of this product. Some It's Christmas, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. Now, totally individually, they're all find things to be, you know, part of. Yeah. But most people, this is my observation, most people go, oh, they have the whole thing. Yeah. But it's one whole distraction. Yeah. And they forget to better themselves. And they're the ones that will say, oh, things are so crazy at the moment. I can't do X, Y and Z because I've got this and this and this on. Yes. And like my husband always reminds me, he's like, you know, you inspired me because you had all these things on, you know, I lost my dad all these other things happened throughout my career, you know, COVID, everything. But I still stayed on track. And he says, and I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet, I'm just sort of thinking about what he said to me recently. He's like, you kept going and that allows me to keep going even when things are hectic. I still will go to the gym. I will still do the things that I need to do to be successful because I saw that you did it. You know, you got up, you went for a run in the rain because you had to. You did all these things because you had to. And sometimes I get frustrated with other people <laughs> and it's none of my business. But I'm like, why are you making all these excuses for yourself? Oh, You've yeah. got so much more potential and you can do these things. It's, you choose not to. Mm. I gave up all those things. Yeah. I remember this. And I'm not saying don't enjoy your life. You have to enjoy your life. But 
just give up some of that so that you can be happy and successful. There's other ways to do that, not just yeah. short-term happiness by going to a, a concert and getting absolutely smashed on the weekend. Short-term happiness, that's pretty much the, the key words for why people aren't succeeding overall. Yeah. Short-term happiness. And they mask that with mindfulness. They mask that with, you know, I'm being in the moment. They mask that with YOLO. Yeah. You know? And I think it's like you need to go hard in in your early 20s like mm. you did. Yeah. Good point. And, and then see where, where it's at. But, but people just don't have patience. No. People aren't lucky to find something that they really love and have a drive to focus on in their teens or their 20s. Yeah. They may true. feel like they get that in their 30s, sometimes even 40s. But then they go, well, I have a job. I have a mortgage. I have kids. I can't be doing something I'd rather do for the rest of my life because I don't have time. Mm. You don't have time to avoid regret in your 80s. Okay. Too late by then, isn't it? Yeah, and then people have midlife crisis because they go, oh, what the fuck have I been doing for the last mm. 20 years? This isn't fulfilling. I've got nothing to show for it except for s debt still for another 10, 15 years yeah. of a house in a neighbourhood I don't really give a shit about, you know? It's something that um, came up a lot throughout my career, like people – and not a lot of people. I had a very supportive network but I would hear from people – like why are you so committed and, you know, you lack balance in your life, you're always in the gym and it would almost be like, why are you doing these things? It's ridiculous. You should be, mm -hmm. out, you know, enjoying your 20s. Yeah. But it's like I had to go hard at that time because I was trying to achieve things that weren't normal. They weren't things that, it, that you could do any other day. And it's like I'm doing this, it's making me happy and it's making me successful and at the end of it all I'm going to be able to be like, yep. And I am now. Yep, I did everything that I wanted to do. Yeah. I went hard. Yes, I lacked balance, but I needed that at that time and I worked my ass off. Yeah. And didn't hurt anyone. And so why do I need balance in my life? I no. can do that later. Yeah. Imbalance at the start causes ultimate balance later on. Yeah. That's my belief. Yeah. And like if someone was to tell you now, you know, you could have done better with your 20s, I'm like, I would I would say in your shoes, do you have a world title? <laughs> do you reckon? Do you ever think you ever achieve a world title? And they'll <laughs> they should shut up. I love the hacks that I've uh, come across over the last real recently. Actually, these habit hacks. I read Atomic Habits recently. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's stuff I already knew, but just just instill it in my head. I'm like, oh my god, okay. We're on now. We are on now. And uh, to reshare that online because the easiest way to learn something is to teach it to someone else. Yeah. Oh, just desperately telling my 20-year-old self, if you knew this, you would be here by now. But now I'm in, at 32. How, how old are you, at the, by the way? Uh, I'm 31. 31, right? Yep. And early 30s, what is our 40-year-old selves telling us now? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to tap into that 40-year-old self going, all right, I need to kick these habits into place. And, yeah, they, these habits like just getting up at 4.30 in the morning and having everything lined up so that the previous night 
is the best thing because then I go to the gym at 6.30. Then I come back, get my coffee. Sabine wakes up. <laughs> She's already working but um, walk the dogs, go to work, go to the studio. And by 10 o'clock I've done all my stuff. Yeah. And then I can do the mindful, uh, mindless stuff like meetings and recording shit. And then by like 5, 6 p.m. I am stuffed. Have dinner, walk the dogs and go to bed and actually pass out instead of going right into the night trying to do meaningless shit. Yep. Oh, it's it's a game changer. And now I'm like last night, my brother-in-law's birthday um, party in Fremantle, we got there like 9.30 and I was ready to pass out. Yeah. Because <laughs> you've done so much. You've lived twice a day. Yeah. And like <laughs> – I've always been bad at group scenarios, group yeah. like when people are all talking at once and yep. I'm like I actually focus, try to focus in for one second. I was just like for one second. What are they talking about? And I look back at my last 10 years, I've never been able to accomplish that. <laughs> we would be at playing footy and wind up Saturday night, we'd be sitting upstairs and the pizzas come out and a couple of drinks and everyone's waiting for awards and shit. And I'm just sitting there between everyone like, what are you guys talking about? I'd tune in but like, fantasy basketball. How's my multi going? Oh, this could go out tonight. Chicks are on. And I'm just like, I'm fucked. I played my best I possibly could today. And being a ruckman, I was hitting someone a hundred times the size, like a hundred times – the same size as me. Mm-hmm. You know exactly how that feels like. Yeah. Sam, are you coming out tonight? I'm like, no. No chance. <laughs> no way. I need to sleep, <laughs> recover, get up in the morning and go to rehab yep. whilst everyone's still, you know, partying. But I And mean, I'm sure that was that's way more fulfilling than just oh. doing random stuff. But back then you get sucked into it, you, you know. Do. Yeah. You don't have that discipline. I want to ask you one more thing before we wrap it up yeah this is where i'm going with my my rants how important is discipline to success um if there was a a list of one to ten that would be number one yeah because motivation is fickle Mm -hmm. your motivation to win a world title one day might be 110% 110% and then the next day when you're so, you're tired and sore it's about 10% you think oh I could just I could just leave this because it's too hard your discipline to your routine and that's probably the second thing routine is is the most important thing because if you set out the start of the week your intentions and this is what I'm going to do and you rely on motivation to get those things done nine times out of ten they're not going to happen so you've got to have discipline to be like I feel absolutely up to here of like just tiredness and lack of motivation, your discipline is going to get you there. And even if you don't have, even if you're not 100% yourself and you don't bring all your energy, as long as you're showing up and you're doing that every single day, that's what matters. What about reflection of your routine and how you're going. Pretty important as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like throughout my career, um, over 10 years, I've had to reflect on how I've done things and that's, and it's changed. I mean, times have changed as well. So for example, like my nutrition, like I've had camps where in the early days where my nutrition was just like eat as little as possible so you can cut the most amount of weight. And I've had to look back on that camp and be like, I felt like absolute rubbish. I wasn't at my peak. I didn't fight at my peak. And I've had to look back and be like, okay, I'm actually going to employ a nutritionist that's going to help me and I'm going to get someone to make my meals for me. And that only came through reflection because I could have just done the same thing my entire career because it sort of worked. It got me far, but it didn't get me to where I needed to go and that was the world title. So I had to reflect on on what I had done well and what I had done bad. And even with your skills, like even just being in the ring, like you have to watch your fight back and it is so uncomfortable because you're like almost living the moment again and you're like, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? And you have to like sit back, turn the music off, watch it and just write down, this is what I did bad. This is what I did well. Pat yourself on the back for that. Move on. Get better at that. So you're improving your internal systems. Absolutely. Of your routine. Absolutely. And if you consistently do that through discipline, there is no way you can't succeed eventually. Yeah. You've got to will your way to success. Yeah. And we, a, um, yeah. And we say this thing in, in Muay Thai and, and in martial arts, the 1% of what is what's going to make you a world champion because you've got 100 – say you've got 100 people in the room and they're all training the same and they're all doing the same things every day in terms of their training. What's going to make that one person the absolute best out of these 100 people? It's – your nutrition, your recovery, it's your skills. It's just like even just your mental health and, and how you talk to yourself. Those are the things that it really comes down to when you're at the absolute peak that are going to make you better than everyone else. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I love that. I can't add to that. <laughs> um, there's, there's one other thing um, in terms of routine, your discipline – um, your consistency. Um, what about quitting? <laughs> yeah, good, good question. Uh, when you're competing for 10 years, quitting will cross your mind sometimes daily. And you're just like, I have a great job or I could just go out for dinner tonight and I just would prefer not to do this anymore and just quit. And... To be honest, a few times in my career I was like, this is my last fight. I'm going to quit after this. And if I had done that, I would have retired a one-time Australian champion. But instead I kept going and, I mean, my accomplishments speak for themselves, but I wouldn't have done those things if I just quit. Mm. And, you know, I probably could have lived a pretty happy life if I'd quit at that stage but I definitely wouldn't have reached my potential and I probably would be 20 years down the track thinking damn why did I why did I finish Muay Thai so soon I had so much potential and I didn't I didn't use it and I didn't show the world what I was capable of and therefore showing them what they're capable of and then having that ripple effect none of that would have happened if I quit yeah it was the easier route would have been the easier route at the time but glad I didn't what about quitting when you're – it's not for you? 
how do you know? It's a hard question for you because you, you, you probably have never lived that. <laughs> but um, I'm talking about delusion. Yeah, and it's something that I've, I've looked at throughout my career because you look at fighters that have done it all and that can't give it up and they should have given that up. And I think at that there is times where you should quit. And I'm not saying like when you're halfway through your career. There are times where some people would, should quit because it's not for them. And I've seen people that um, have fought and it affects their mental health so badly that it actually doesn't make them a better person. It makes them a worse person. And I think those are the ones that probably shouldn't do it. I mean, that's for them to decide, but I've seen it and I think, no, this is not for you. Yeah. Maybe you should do something a little bit different because your potential could be lived better through something else. Um, but coming back to like, Fighters that have been doing it for 15, 20 years that have multiple world titles that can't give it up and you see them slowly deteriorate and it's like your legacy is being tainted and you could, you should give it up now because you've done everything. You've shown the world how great you are and now you're undoing all of that. So at that point I feel like you should quit and it's not saying quit on yourself, it's quit on that one particular aspect of your life and go use those skills for something else. Yeah. There is so much more to this life than, like for me, than fighting. So much more. Like it did consume so much of my life and I love that. And it was amazing. I had so many amazing experiences. But the truth is, and this is probably why it's easier for me to retire, I realise that there is so much more in this world than just going into the gym, training, fighting. Yeah. There's a relation with that into other people's addictions. I'm talking about gambling. Mm -hmm. There is so much more than to walking into a betting agency and putting your money down on dog racing. Mm -hmm. You grew up learning how to become a worker or an entrepreneur, a businessman, whatever, and you start making that money but then you decide to blow it all on something meaningless. I'm not saying that fighting was meaningless, mm -hmm. obviously. But then they go, oh, train my, train my dog to become a, a champion racing dog. Okay, what about the other, f the previous 10 that have failed, mm -hmm. you know? And this is a completely, not the best kind of parallel, but stick with me. Mm -hmm. um, people that gamble on these things, they really miss out on a whole bigger potential of themselves you know investing that money into something that's almost a shoe-in to help them with their financials down the track long term but their discipline wants that short-term win but in reality they're delusional to the fact that they should have quit ages ago because they're only chasing their losses and they're hurting a whole you know bunch of dogs so the way that I've kind of gone back and forth with this is uh, my initial idea of how they both relate in, in good ways and in the bad ways. Discipline in knowing what's right for you initially and then down the track, pun not intended at all, mm -hmm. um, is you got to keep that integrity for yourself. And with Muay Thai, with, your, with what you did with your career, you did that because you wanted to do that for yourself mm -hmm. and you achieved amazing things. 
but there are people out there who can't achieve those things and they do something that is short term because they haven't found their thing. Yeah. And what I want to do is I want to help people find their thing so that they have no time to go to gamble on meaningless things. Yeah. And uh, that's what you're doing. You're pivoting into that role, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, that's my like final thoughts about it all. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess my final thoughts on all of this is, is yeah, just for everyone that's listening, just look into Greyhound Racing. Mm. And, it, and if you don't, I mean, you don't have to go down this massive rabbit hole of, you know, scouring the internet. Head to my page, look at some of the stuff that I've posted. Look at Free the Hounds and, and look at the simple facts of since 2015, 1,300 dogs have died on the tracks. That's not to mention the dogs that have died behind the scenes that end up in these shallow graves. Look into that and educate yourself on that and then you can make a decision as to whether you want to support that and then you can make a decision on how you have a conversation around that topic. But I mean, I mean, it does seem like a small subject in, in the scheme of the entire world. There are so many issues that need to be dealt with. But this is one issue that's close to home and one that has zero purpose. And just have a think about it. I just urge you to look into it yourself. And, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs> thanks for listening. Um, all the details will be in uh, the bio in the description, whether it's on YouTube or in uh, Spotify or iTunes. Um, we can find uh, Victoria's uh, page in there, Free the Hounds stuff's in there as well. And, uh, yeah, please uh, give you just give us five minutes of your time. Sign the petition, reshare a post, make a comment, add to the engagement and uh, help, help us out. But, um, yeah, any other piece of advice as you love to give to the kids who want to kick someone's butt? In the uh, in the octagon or the ring, do it, do it well, <laughs> and uh, leave the sport better than you than you um, started it. Love that. Thank you for your time. As always, good thanks. Mm-hmm.